The Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by The Tea Clinic. This is The Tea Health Show. I'm Dr. Mark. Today's show is sponsored by Proven Probiotics. ShapeLine is the world's leading probiotic with proven weight loss benefits. Proven is available at Diskim and Clicks Pharmacies as well as online at provenprobiotics.co.za. Good morning, Sims. How are you? Ah, good morning, Dr. Mark. I'm good. I have the great pleasure to introduce um, the brain behind Proven Probiotics, oh, wow. Dr. Nigel Plummer. Um, to our guests, Nigel, all the way out from the UK, welcome. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, everyone. So I decided to talk about probiotics because it's such an incredibly relevant topic today. All the research is showing that things come from the gut, etc., etc. So just quickly tell us a little bit about your background as a, a microbiologist with a PhD in microbial physiology. Okay. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I, the, the, all it means is that a long time ago I was at university and I did, did a microbiology degree and then went over to do a physiology degree, physiology of microorganisms. And then then I I, I, I worked at, at Pfizer, the pharmaceutical company, for, for a, a number of years and then um, uh, left and set up my own company um, because we had a particular interest in probiotics it was a concept that had started to, to develop this is now 30 years ago almost um, and it started to to develop and it continued to develop the first probiotics in fact that that, that, that we made and developed were for animals to prevent neonatal diarrhea in young animals because they suffer very very badly from this and and uh, and 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 the probiotic concept worked and what that basically means is that 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 what the you're doing is providing good organisms into the gut and they crowd out the bad organisms the ones that in in this case for these animals were 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 causing this very severe diarrhea and so it 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 prevented this diarrhea from taking place and it and so the whole probiotic element has developed from that but alongside that and parallel to that over the last 25 years is alongside the development of the sort of probiotic concept is this awareness that we've now got of what we call the microbiome, which is this fantastic, beautiful community of bacteria that we have in our gut. And just to, just to, 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 to try and understand that, that a little bit, the, the numbers that are associated here is like, sorry. So I've, st- I, I, I raised my hand because Nigel, we're going to test some people. Oh, no. He loves doing this. So <laughs> we, we have spoken about microbes and organisms and cells. Simpiwe, which organism makes up more of our body's human or bacteria? I would say bacteria. By hundreds of trillions. Am I correct, Nigel? Yeah. That's correct. So, and Simpiwe, how much does the organisms in our gut weigh? 
It's a couple of kilos. 1.2 to 2.5 kilograms. Yay! You know what? So far you're passing. Um, so, Nigel, sorry, because um, yeah. we, we've we discussed um, the importance of the microbiome before. Um, and it's it's... It was shocking when I gave a statistics for people in the studio and our listeners said, what? Mm-hmm. Um, so please tell us a little bit more about the numbers and why these numbers are so important to us. Okay. So a little bit of sort of trivial facts, but they're not tri- trivial. They're actually very important. There's about a hundred thousand billion, just as you say, Simmons. Yes, hundred thousand billion. A hundred thousand billion is a is an enormous number. It's very difficult for us to comprehend a hundred thousand billion. If you think of the richest guy in the world, I think it is is it is it Elon Musk now worth mm. maybe a hundred and fifty billion. A hundred and fifty thousand billion is a is a is a is a is a, is a huge number. So, and as you're quite right, the, if you convert that number into weight, it's about 1.5 to 2.5 kilos. And that's with us all of our lives. So from, so we acquire our microbiome the day that we're born and it's with us to, until the day that we die. It becomes part of us and it's almost like uh, having another organ. And I'll go into that presently yes. but 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 also some other little trivial facts that that you can see and and you can you can have a tangible impact of, of your of your uh, microbiome because your fecal stool we probably think most of our fecal stool is undigested food but over 50 percent of your stool is actually your microbiome your microbiota and that's living organisms. So 50% of the mass of your stool is actually your microbiota. And that so gives that for me is absolutely new. I did not, I did not know that. Um, wow. And that gives you a bit of a state of flux because obviously you, you lose a good proportion of your microbiota. Mm-hmm. Every day you see it down the toilet and you can smell it. And if you want to, you can even touch it maybe. Mm. I mean, but, but it's part of you. And that, that's kind of one of the things we, we need to understand about our, our microbiome. It's, it, so over 50% of the, of your fecal mass is your, is your microbiota. And because you lose a lot of that every day, you it also put it back replaced. every day. And so that gives the, the sense of the dynamism that is that is involved in our microbiota. And when our microbiota grow, when these bacteria grow, and there's thousands of different types of bacteria, it's like a big zoo of of microbes down there. When they grow, they they produce um, either acid, typically, or gas, or both. And the amount of gas that the bugs produce every every day, that your microbiota produce every day, that gas has to go somewhere and we release it. And so everybody does this and we all release between two and five litres of gas every day. No, we all know it. We all know. My partner, it's more. <laughs> you know, you can, I have to be honest. Um, it's a toxic blimp that. 
<laughs> but it's it's very it's very, it's funny because when I when I'm talking about that often, I see people and they go, and you go, and they shake their heads and they go, no, I'm not, it's not me. I don't produce four or five <laughs> liters of gas every day. And we do have obviously some social control of that. Normally, we're, we're sitting here, we're not going. But when we go out, we obviously. Da, 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 da. And the other part where you, where you don't have social control is when you're actually sleeping. So oh. obviously, you lose that. So if you have an insomniac partner. They will understand that you will, that you produce. That's me, and that's why I wake up every morning <laughs> fogged. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, so this this so this this microbiome is 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 is, an, is an amazing thing, and I think one of the other things to to, to understand there that because we acquire this group of microorganisms, this, this diversity of microorganisms, but, but we acquire it. At birth, and at birth, many of the systems and, and 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 organs that govern our body are underdeveloped, and the microbiota or the microbiome, is, as uh, when we acquire it, drives the development of some of these systems, yes. um, particularly the immune system. Yes, uh, Nigel, I actually want us to stop there. Um, we know that the microbiome acts as a separate organ. It's it's basically an organ in itself because of its genetic makeup. Yes. That's so diverse. And as you just said, it drives not only the immune system, but it's incredibly important in the metabolizing of hormone systems um, to create other hormones. Yes. Um, the microbiome is in direct communication to the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, not only through the vagal nerve that, that goes from the stomach, but to every other organ, but also through the metabolites of everything that we consume or make from a hormonal perspective to a neurotransmitter perspective, etc., yes. etc. Et so let's go back. And I, I know that your PhD was done on the... Um, f- physiology that happens during fetal development as you said you started making um, probiotics for for cows but i think what a lot of people don't understand is that the birth process in itself is where the inoculation and i loved the word that you used earlier inoculation of your first microbes happen and if we look at how we give birth today versus 20 years ago or 50 years ago um, we can there's a very big difference but I I've been in practice long enough to see the changes that these procedures has brought about so help me if I'm incorrect a fetal gut, if you in the womb, mm-hmm. that gut is sterile. And the first inoculation happens once the membranes have ruptured and there's contact with the mother's birth canal. And the organisms that we find in the birth canal are more of a lactobacillus kind, hey? Lactobacillus 
Papione. Acidophilus. Acidophilus. Yes. So Okay. So those are the most prolific bacteria in your stomach. They're the most well, let's I mean first of all what we should say is that the 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 the, the microbiome is very complex. It has a as I say it's like a zoo. There are there is almost a thousand different species typically that we know in the, that we know of in the normal person for instance. And there are some, some parts of our body have, are, are dominated by certain forms. So the vaginal canal, for instance, is over 90% the, lac- the lactobacillus family, which includes acidophilus and other strains. But the lactobacillus family dominates the, the, the vaginal canal flora by about 90 to 95%. And it's an acidic environment. It's an acidic environment. And it's an interesting in, in, in terms of how that develops because the origin of people say, well, how, how does, how has that organism become dominant in that particular um, area? And the origin of the lactobacilli is from the gut. And so there's, there is, and it's something that is also very important. There's constant movement of all of microorganisms from the gut to the vaginal canal it's a it's a constant stream and they're very they're very close and these and these bacteria can move very very easily and but you're quite right mark as you say but but the the vaginal canal environment is very different to the to the gut environment first of all it's aerobic there are, there is there is air yeah. and that eliminates so so 90% of the organisms that kind of constantly travel to the to the vaginal canal die because they they can't survive within air and as you're right the the vaginal canal normally has a pH of around 4.5, which is a, which is acidic, which means that that also blocks out <laughs> most of the other organisms because mm-hmm. they can't grow in that acidic environment. So it selects for the lactobacillus family. And so that's why the lactobacilli become dominant. And what you, what you can also understand, Mark, you would know this, that if, if that pH changes, then you get vaginal back, back bacteriosis where you get yes. E. coli and other organisms and they, they have become able to then colonize, which they wouldn't normally do because that pH has risen and they can then grow in that environment. So very interesting, simply where we've spoken about this on the show before as women go through menopause yes. and estrogen levels start decreasing. The pH of a vagina starts elevating, so it becomes more alkaline. And now you get an overgrowth of bacteria because the vagina is self-cleaning. And this leads to repeated um, asymptomatic or symptomatic urinary tract infections. This makes the vagina more prone to yeast infections. And very interesting, we always talk about honeymoon cystitis. Now, it's interesting, women's vaginas are pH um, negative. In other words, it's acidic. Mm-hmm. But men's sperm is alkaline. Mm. So if you add men's sperm into a vagina, it raises the pH and makes it more susceptible to infections. So... Um, something to think about. Um, it's, it's very interesting. And why are we actually talking about this is because the role of probiotics, which we are going to get to, is about colonizing the gut with the 
correct bacteria, but the gut is a very, very, very big environment. Mm. Um, and like you have northern suburbs in Johannesburg that likes to drink um, wine spritzes, you have Limpopo um, a little bit further down the gut that likes to drink brandy and coke. So, um, Nigel, tell us about probiotics. Um, you okay. know what? We've heard this word. But what is a probiotic? Because a while ago, we had something called prebiotics. And today, we even have something called a postbiotic. Yes. What are the differences between these things? Okay. Let's maybe take the probiotics first of all, because I think that that's, that's the mainstream um, element at the moment. And, and so um, and we develop probiotics and we isolate probiotics, as I say, in our company now um, in the UK. Um, we've got 12 full-time scientists. We've done 24 clinical trials, large clinical trials on various aspects of probiotics and the microbiome. So what is it? And, and, and we and we develop our own pro probiotic strains. So, so how do we do that? Um, all of the probiotic is in a nutshell is what we what we do is select what we consider to be the most beneficial strains from our microbiota, the strains that provide most of the benefits that are associated with the microbiota, such as driving the the appropriate development of the immune system, for instance, keeping it primed. So we identify what we think are these most beneficial strains. We basically isolate them, purify them, and put them into a probiotic and then back into the individual typically in greater numbers than are there in the gut originally to exert even greater benefits. So it's as simple as that. Probiotics are what we, we isolate what we consider to be the most beneficial members of our microbiome. We then grow them up, purify them, put them back into the, into the individual, typically in larger numbers to hopefully exert even greater benefits. So, Pio, your hands should also be up like mine because in what Nigel just said, it raises a lot of questions for mm -hmm. me. Um, Nigel, how do we know which are the most beneficial ones? Because in my reading, what I have found is that one of the reasons why we know so little about the microbiome is because it's very difficult to work with these organisms outside of a living gut. Yes. And that's absolutely correct. And, 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 you know, from what I'm saying here, the, maybe what I should have said is that we identify what we consider to be the most beneficial organisms of the ones within the microbiome that we can identify. Okay. What we understand is that there is, there is a, there is a, a whole range of microorganisms that we can't cultivate properly. They're very difficult <laughs> to actually cultivate, to actually grow, to, to isolate. And we don't know how beneficial and how, how functional these are. One example, for instance, that has come about recently there is a type of organism which is called acomancia it's very difficult to isolate very very difficult to 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 grow but it looks like it's particularly important in weight loss for instance mm -hmm. now this is one of the this is one, one one organism that may develop into being a probiotic in in years to come once we have the technology to really isolate it cultivate it and prove that it does have this this weight loss element the reason i'm saying that 
is that people who remain lean through their lives tend to have a high number of this organism. And people who, who, are, who are prone to putting on weight during their lives tend to have a low number of this organism okay. within their microbiota. I was, um, I was recording an episode for Real Health. Um, and you know what? You and I have both been on Real Health a couple of times. It's, uh, it's another medical lifestyle show. And the program that I was recording was on weight loss. Mm-hmm. And there I made the statement that weight loss is no longer a condition of willpower. It's actually a condition of biology because you have these people that eat correctly, do not overeat, but cannot lose weight. Mm. And you, what they then resort to doing is they resort to starving themselves, um, giving themselves such a huge calorie deficit that not only do they become under, underfed, but undernourished. Mm. Instead, these people should be working on biohacking. I think that's the right word. Yes, that's the term. Biohacking the gut um, to make sure that the gut actually utilizes the energy because it's not dependent on us. It's actually dependent on these trillions and trillions of organisms that function like a separate organ, mm-hmm. but is responsible for us being alive because without them, we cannot live. I just Correct. heard something you. If we were to kill your microbiome, mm-hmm. you will die. Okay. It's very interesting. Uh, Nigel worked on um, young animals that need colostrum, which is the first feed from the parents, to provide them with the enzymes and the organisms in order for them to digest food. If you think of a little cow, uh, a calf that's born – it cannot survive on grass because it doesn't have organisms mm-hmm. to to nourish it from the grass that it takes in. It needs to get the milk. Um, so it's it's that your microbiome is responsible for your immune system, first of all. And Nigel, maybe we should stop there for a second mm-hmm. and just talk about how important um, – Microbes is in developing the immune system. Okay, if we if we go back, Mark, to what we were talking about that we touched on earlier on, which was was when we first acquire our, our microbiome. So, as you were saying, prior to birth, the 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 baby just 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 prior to being born is effectively microbiologically sterile, but the but the gut of the baby particularly. Um, it's a fantastic environment for colonization by any type of, of microorganism because it's warm, it's moist, there's food available, and very importantly, it's, 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 it's sterile, so there's no competition at that point. So it, it can be inoculated or colonized by any organisms, really, that it, that it comes into contact with. So when, when the baby's born, 
it comes into contact with a number of, of touch points. The vaginal uh, canal flora, which is dominated by the, la- the la- lactobacilli. The skin flora around the genital urinary tracts, which is dominated by a group of organisms called the propioni bacteria. And the intestinal flora from the mother. All of these contribute to this first um, uh, colonizing flora that we that, it, that becomes established in the first two or three days of life. And that is incredibly important, that first colonizing flora. And it's different from the vaginal birth, for instance, compared to the C-section birth. Now, given that you allow that, that process to develop, then that, that original and uh, initial community of microorganisms develops, it grows, it diversifies, and it starts to then have an impact on the rest of, of, of the, the baby as it's developing, particularly the immune system. So you're quite right. If we didn't have our microbiota, if we didn't acquire our microbiota at birth, because the microbiota is absolutely critical and necessary to driving the development of the immune system, we would never develop a competent immune system. If we didn't have our microbiota, we would never develop a a competent immune system and we would effectively succumb to bacterial or microbiological, uh, microbiological challenge by infection within the first three or four years of life. So you're quite right that our microbiota is not only beneficial to us, but it's essential to our our survival. And not only does the microbiota drive the development of the immune system, and we would never develop, say, a competent immune system without it, it develop it drives the development of of other systems within our 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 body as well. And really importantly, it's a two way process. It's a two way conversation as the microbiota is driving the development of the immune system the immune system is imprinting the microbiota onto its immune self so it it recognizes it as being self it almost imprints it as being recognized as self hence from a from a from a that's why we now say that it's almost like another organ but consider how crazy this is what we're saying is that this this massive group of bacteria that are antigenically completely foreign to us, our immune system recognizes it as being part of us and doesn't react towards it. So I, I am reading a book. Um, it's called My Gut. And one of the things that um, I, I shared with Stefan was that your white cells, which mm-hmm. is responsible for your immune system, spent time in the gut to be acquainted with the microorganisms before your blood, your immune cells go anywhere else in the body. They start out in the gut. Um, it, but it's, it's, it's not only the immune system. If we think about the importance of hormones that come from mm-hmm. the gut, 90% of serotonin, which is the, uh, responsible for um, things like depression and anxiety, um, is made in the gut. Mm-hmm. Um, without our gut functioning optimally, we'll be, n- well, banana cases because... Uh, nut cases, you know, what you still need to digest. Banana, you can squish. So, Nigel, one of the other questions that I, I think we we need to address is 
we know that the, the microbiome drives everything. But over the past few years, with COVID and the pandemic and the sterilizing of everything, sterilizing ourselves, sterilizing our food, not allowing our kids to play outside without their masks and gloves and plastic hazmat suits. Um, how is this impacting on our gut? Because in the work that you do, you must have seen a shift Yes. In in conditions like obesity and um, inflammatory bowel conditions and things like this. Yes, and I think that um, that's absolutely right. If 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 we and 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 it, it, this has a number of a- aspects to it, and let me just maybe select one. So so one of the one of the the, 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 the sort of the theory that encapsulates this whole idea that we're keeping our our children, for instance. In a, we're not exposing them to the microbial world in the same way as we, as we used to because we, we we were exposed. Yes, because we use disinfectants. There's a high use of antibiotics. We keep people in cleaner urban environments rather than rural environments. We don't have to tend to have as many pets around and so on. So we clean everything before we sterilize our food very often. Mm -hmm. And so the, so a a baby uh, can be underexposed to the, to the microbial world and if you if if you're taking on board what I was just saying that the microbiota and the development of this of our microorganisms of within the gut our microbiome if we limit that if we then we we can have an impact on limiting the the speed and development of our immune system for instance so what we understand is that in the last 50 years there's been a massive increase in type one hypersensitivity or allergy, massive increase throughout the throughout throughout the, the the world, with the exception of some of the developing parts of the world. But in the developed world, massive increase, like fifty to sixty times the levels sure. of allergy. Yeah, just think about the past couple of weeks living in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been probably the worst um, allergy season that in my 24 years of practice that I've encountered. Yes. And how that, how that, what we, what we understand by this now is that most allergy, type 1 hypersensitivity develops in the first year of life. Most allergy develops in the, in the first year of life. Your, your immune system is set up to, to, to be allergic in, in, in the first year of life or not. Let me just explain how that works. So when a baby is born, mm-hmm. its immune system is underdeveloped, but it's unbalanced as well. And it is, it's actually trending towards being allergic. So when the, when the, when the baby's born, its immune system is biased to, to becoming allergic. And one of the things that the microbiota does, our microbiome does, when I said it drives the immune system, it drives it. Not only does it develop it, but it drives it away from that tendency to be allergic. So your, your microbiota develops it, but it also drives it away from its tendency to, to be allergic in the first place. If we want to know how, how, why that tendency is there. I'll come back to it in a moment. But if we don't have sufficient microbiota, in that very critical period in the first year of life, because we've been using antibiotics, for instance, which can absolutely eliminate your whole mi- mi- microbiota within the, 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 the baby, for instance. 
if you don't if you have insufficient amounts in the wrong types of microbiota it doesn't drive the immune system away from being allergic and so that particular baby then has a much much higher chance of becoming allergic and this is called the hygiene theory that we're keeping our our our, our babies too microbiologically sterile for if you want for for for, for of, of another word they're not being exposed to sufficient amounts of the microbial world to develop their immune system in the appropriate way and drive it away from its tendency which naturally at, at birth to become allergic and that we call the hygiene theory just to just to put a, a sort of touch on that why is it why is a, is a baby born with this tendency to become allergic in the first place? Well, our immune system can kind of be divided in, into 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 two parts. There's what we call it's called for technically it's called Th1 and Th2. The Th1 part of the immune system is the part that rejects an organ if you have a transplanted organ. So if you have a a, a, a transplanted organ, as Mark would know then you have to be on immune suppressants for the rest of your life because your yes. immune system recognizes this organ as being foreign. And so it says, I don't want that organ. And it, so it, it gets your immune system to re reject that. Well, the fetus is not the same person, if you like, individual from the immune, from the immune system's point of view. The developing fetus is seen as being foreign. And so... Because it's not only mum; it's dad has had a little bit to actually do with with the with the creation of that of that fetus. So, from the immune system's point of view, the immune system regards the fetus as being foreign. So, during pregnancy, the part of the immune system that um, is responsible for rejection is strongly suppressed in the in the mother, so that the so that the mother doesn't reject the fetus as it's developing and similarly that part of the immune system doesn't develop in the in the baby so the part that that half of the immune system responsible so that the baby doesn't reject itself from the mother so when the baby's born the other part of the immune system which is responsible for allergy development that has developed because that that doesn't have any impact on re, re rejection of the fetus during pregnancy so that part is still is dominant and the function of the of the microbiota is to balance that out because once the baby's born then that part of the immune system that you don't want to develop in the fetal stage because it will cause a rejection of the fetus then starts to develop strongly <coughs> by the stimulus of the microbiota if that's not there the baby still has this tendency to become allergic and that is why we see this massive rise in allergy over the last 50 years because our babies are not being exposed to the right amount and the right type of, micro of, of microbes in that first year of life to drive the immune system away from being allergic. And one point is that probiotics can actually reverse that because they can provide that stimulus to effectively drive the development of the immune system properly in that in that in that time absolutely um nigel one of the things that i think we should touch on is um dysbiosis um so sims do you remember the term dysbiosis we spoke about it before mm. stacy is going to kill you um so dysbiosis I think it goes like 
What are you going to say now? Dysbiosis is if the populations of organisms that should live in certain parts of the gut is present somewhere else. So if you think about we, um, your large intestine is a, is a, a couple of meters long. Mm-hmm. That's, I think it's about one and a half, two meters. Um, but it's, if you think about that, there's trillions and trillions and trillions of organisms living there. Mm-hmm. And each live in a little community. And, um, Xenophobic organisms do not like one another. Okay. And when they overgrow, now they become pathogenic. And this leads to conditions like bloating, um, irritable bowel syndrome, etc., etc., etc. Nigel, one of the things that I want to uh, quickly touch on is... We, no, before we get there, actually, what's the difference between probiotics, prebiotics, and digestive enzymes? Let's go there first. Okay. Probiotics, we said earlier on, these are basically, these are the actual microorganisms. um, So they are microorganisms. Yeah, the probiotics are microorganisms. They're the living microorganisms. When you had to take a probiotic, it's in, let's say, a capsule. That powder contains freeze-dried living microorganisms. It is a living dietary supplement, and that it's the only living dietary supplement. And that is why sometimes it has to be has to be treated differently. You can't you can't you can't expose it to, to high amounts of, of of heat, for instance, because these organisms will then die. They, it is a living supplement, and we tend to forget that. So. That is a probiotic. A prebiotic is is basically most of the prebiotics out there are effectively um, uh, longer chain sugars. So these are not organisms. These mm. are and and they're not a simple sugar, which is very short. But they're not a big carbohydrate chain like starch. They're a kind of middle part, and we call them oligosaccharides because they're a, they're a, they're a, they're a, they're a middle chain. So Most basically, of, it's food. It's food for, for the bacteria. Bacteria, yes, okay. because we can't metabolize these. They're, they're effectively a, a type of fiber, and we tend to call them soluble fiber. And because they they are soluble, you can you 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 can you can dissolve some of and some of them look like like sugar. And an, an example or a couple of examples of prebiotics are things called inulin. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. fructooligosaccharides. Inulin is very good for gut inflammation yes. and glucose management. Yes, it's a, it's a, and and one of the reasons is that it's it's about half as sweet as um, sugar. Mm-hmm. It's soluble. It kind of looks like it looks like um, sugar, half as sweet, but we can't metabolize it. So it's perfect for people who have diabetes and so on and so forth, as almost a kind of sweetener. But it, but it acts as a soluble fiber. We can't. Digest this, but the microorganisms can, and so they live. So our probiotic bacteria, which are particularly, if you like, they like this prebiotic food. They live off this prebiotic food. Is which this beneficial probiotics or all probiotics? Well, or don't we know? It is. 
most organisms in our microbiota will be able to use these prebiotics. But so with that comes a word of caution. Yes. Because if you have an overgrowth of the wrong probiotics or the wrong microbes and you feed them with something like inulin, you are actually going to make your condition worse. So it means that we have to balance the microbes first and then feed them the correct food. Yes. And, and it's, so what, so if you've got in the large intestine, for instance, if you have got a dysbiosis occurring there, then what you would do, for instance, is, is you would feed in inulin, fill, feed fructooligosaccharides. And what you would find is that initially, because if you take in something like E. coli, which we don't want, we, we don't want E. coli there, we don't want, um, staphylococci there, we don't want Klebsiella, we don't want these undesirable organisms, but they're there and they've overgrown. And that's what, that's what's causing the dysbiosis because these are naturally there anyway, but mm-hmm. they're, they're opportunistic pathogens and they have overgrown. And so they're expressing this ability to, to, to provide an opportunistic pathogenicity. And they are expressing that and that's what's giving you the symptoms of, of, um, this, the dysbiosis, which may be expressed as IBS. So pain and bloating and, 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 um, uh, undesirable bowel habit, for instance. So if you feed, um, let's say in, inulin to the large intestinal bacteria like that. Initially, you might see the symptoms getting a little bit worse because those bad bacteria can use the inulin just like the good bacteria can. And so they say, oh, this is inulin coming forward, and they and they start to, to be able to use it. But the good bacteria actually use it much more effectively. So the good bacteria that are there... They start, they go, oh, this is inulin coming in. This is great. And they start to really grow. And so over a period of two to three weeks, their population increases and, and the bad ones okay. decrease. Good. So you've got to go through very often what you'll find is, and people who are given uh, inulin, for instance, have got IBS. Like, oh, uh, for the first few days, I had more gas. I, and, and I wasn't feeling, and, and mm-hmm. you, have to, you have to either wean them onto it slowly, or tell them, look, just power, power through it, okay. and and it, and within the next two or three weeks, you'll find that it'll be, it, that it'll be much better. Your your amount of gas that you produce will go down dramatically, okay, in that first in mm. two or three weeks. Now, a new term that's that's come about, and I've spoken about it on this show, is the postbiotics, the butyrates. Okay. Postbiotics are, uh, it's, it's a new type of, um, element and it basically, it is, um, it, it, it is identified as being or defined as being something that the probiotic may have produced. So you don't need the probiotic there anymore. If you can provide it, if you can provide what the probiotic was going to produce in the gut, then if the probiotic is not there to actually do that, you're still providing it. So, for instance, one of the, the major things that our microbiota does, 
And bear in mind that probiotics are just, as I say, members of our microbiota. One of the things that the microbiota does is, is produce these things called short-chain fatty acids. And we produce a lot of it. I mean, it's, we, we, we produce the short-chain fatty acids are acetate, propionate, and very importantly, butyrate. And we produce about 20 to 30 grams a day. We get 5% or 10% of our total energy. Yes. From the short so chain I'm fatty ask acids. Some Do you know where butyrate, where you find butyrate every day? Every day. Yes, you eat it every day. I promise you. Oh, um, a little help. I'm not. You eat it every day, so I'm guessing it's a fruit. I don't know. It's butter. What you lie? <laughs> butyrate, butyrate, butter, not margarine, butter. Yes. Butter. Oh, wow. Have you ever heard of a term called a bullet coffee? No. Okay, so that's the people in Cape Town all know what bullet coffees are. Um bullet coffee is when you have a coffee with butter oh. in it. That's butyrate. So um Nigel, tell us a little bit more about butyrate. So butyrate is um as I say it's one of these one of the short chain fatty acids. It is responsible for ninety percent oh no, not ninety percent. About seventy percent of the energy that the that our colonic cells need to to to, to keep them functional. So if we don't produce um, short chain fatty acids, but particularly butyrate, then our colonic cells can't function and they become leaky. They start to to atrophy or die off. They become leaky, and hence we get this sort of leaky gut syndrome occurring. Mm-hmm. So our the, our colonic health is absolutely tied up to butyrate but butyrate also is is an anti-tumorigenic agent so it's it it does things within the gut that 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 prevents us or leads us to having to much less susceptibility to gut inflammation and particularly to colorectal cancer because it's an anti-tumorigenic agent so i i've been using butyrate uh probably for the past Four months. That's a lot and of butter. Recently, I decided to take a break from all my supplements and my probiotics, and mm-hmm. um, I, within two days, um, my gut started acting up again. I'm bloated. I'm inflamed. I'm in pain, um, and things that I usually could eat, like broccoli. Now, within 10, 20 minutes after having broccoli, I'm um, in pain. So um, sure. it's, it's, um, it's remarkable how supplementation with the correct product can aid us when you have gut problems and Nigel, I think uh, you will you will know this statistic a little bit better than me, but I, it's safe to say that seventy to eighty percent of the human population currently have gut problems because of the microbiome. Yes, I think that that is that that is absolutely correct, and I think one of the things that that that, that we should say here about that in terms of. Of, of why, what, what, why do we have these, these GI chat problems? And, and, 
and dysbiosis, when we come back to, to that point, what are the major causes of dysbiosis? Well, you know, we have stress, we have infections, we have bad diet, we have so, so on. But the, but the major cause by far and the most common cause is the use of antibiotics. Now, one of the things, before I say anything else, I mean, I think I used to work with antibiotics. Mm-hmm. I think antibiotics are, are from the 20th century point of view, they've by changed, far they were the they most. Changed our they changed as humans. They, yes, absolutely. They were by far the most beneficial development and advancement in in human healthcare of the 20th century. The travesty is within a hundred years, we're in the twilight of our anti, the antibiotic era, with resistance to antibiotics being such a huge issue, and that's not going to go away. Having said all that. There is a dis, there is a, there is a, there is an, an, an implicit disadvantage or, or adverse event that happens when you take an antibiotics and that is that it will have a damaging effect on your microbiome. Well, think of the sure. name pro versus anti. Antibiotics kill probiotics. But Nigel, on this one, you know what, um, I often, not often, every time that I prescribe an antibiotic to my patients, I tell them that they need to take a probiotic or ask them if they have a probiotic at home. And they say yes, and I say to them, okay, you take your antibiotic and two hours later, you take your probiotic. And they look at me, what? Yes. I can't remember that. Why, why, why can't you take them at the same time? Because if you take them at the same time, you're killing your probiotics, which is yes. there to recolonize your gut, which you have just started sterilizing, yes. creating problems. This is why you develop diarrhea or yes. thrush, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. We, we running out of time and I actually want us to talk about, um, probiotics as a group um you know what simply how many probiotics do you know off by heart think about the ones that you know like just from like the counter when you walk into like any shop i think there's quite a few like i think there's like easily four or five that people could name there's far more (laughs) i mean you know i can i can name i i can easily name 10 yes um nigel how do you pick a probiotic? How do you know what is good for you? Um, because there's a, there are probiotics that's good for you while you're taking antibiotics. These are, there are probiotics that are more beneficial when you take them after proba, uh, uh, antibiotics. But how do we pick the one that we should take every day or with a certain condition like an allergy? Um, you know, it's marketing. Yes, so I mean it's, it's 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 a difficult one, Mark. That is a, it is actually a very difficult question. And but let me try and help help out here. So so the the, the absolute answer to this is that is that somebody should choose a probiotic on the basis that the probiotic that they're selecting has clinical trial evidence that it has benefits for the condition that they're looking to yeah. affect or, or or treat so if somebody has ibs for instance and they're looking for a probiotic they should try and find whether it's on the website that that probiotic has had some kind of clinical trial to show that it has benefits for ibs 
Likewise, if you're taking a probiotic for, let's say, babies to, 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 to help them prevent allergy, which is what, which is one of the big trials we did, look on the website of that probiotic to see if it has evidence that it will prevent allergy yeah. and so on and so forth. Now, but you can't often see this on the pack. You can't no, see you it can't. on the pack. And this is why I want people to be discerning. Because I always tell my, my patients and every time that we speak on supplementation, I tell them, if you can go in and take something on a shelf, you need to know that what's on the shelf is not necessarily regulated, which means that what they say on the package is this is a nutritional supplement, which opens it up to a lot of grayness. Um, you can say that this has um, sugar in it, okay? But that sugar um, is not necessarily the sugar that you know that you put on your table, mm. which is what you think is in there. This might be a, a cellulose uh, or a fructose, um, you know, it, instead of cane sugar. Mm. Um, so, proven is... One of the few probiotics that I know of with scientific studies that's been published in medical review uh, papers and um, journals, it's new in South Africa. It hasn't been on the market for such a long time. Now, I've been very fortunate enough to, to use it in my practice. And the reason why it's the only probiotic that I use in my practice is I had a patient who developed a severe gastroenteritis and ended up in hospital. And when she came out of hospital, the diarrhea didn't stop. And everyone said to her, take probiotics, take probiotics. And all the ones in South Africa that was currently available in pharmacies um, was ineffective. And um, John Nidal's brother is a patient of mine. And he said to me, uh, he told me about this product. And I said to the patient, I have some in my office. Please come and take him. The next day, she called me back. She said to me, I don't know what you've given, what you've given me, but you know what? I'm a hundred percent. Wow. Fine. So I I have clinical experience with this product. It's the one that I swear by and it's the one that I will endorse. Um, but tell us a little bit more about Proven because currently on the shelves in Discims, in Clicks, we have mainly the Proven Shape line, which is a, a, a 50 billion strain um, probiotic but with clinical proven evidence that it causes abdominal weight loss, and I, I think you found this with your mice. No, no, this was this was in two very big human trials. Okay. Oh. Yes, we did very, very, we did uh, two very, very big human trials on that um, consecutively, and 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 this was in in the last couple of years. And what we did was we simply take we we, we took um, a groups of people who were obese or overweight and we we, we we divided them into two we put half on the probiotic and half not now these people were not on any calorie controlled diet we didn't ask them to modify their lifestyle in any way so the only difference that they would that, that, that they had in their life in this course <laughs> mm -hmm. was that they were taking the probiotic and if they were overweight rather than obese they lost more weight 
and if they were and if they were over 40 they lost more weight again so so uh, everyone on the on the trial lost three pounds you might not say well that's 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 not a huge amount of 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 weight without any other intervention three pounds and almost all of it was off of the waistline so so you have women who are kind of this sort of muffin top type of shape and the man who has a who has a bit of a a, beer beer (laughs) belly so it was it was off of this and if you were overweight but not obese which is means that that you're only looking to lose a little bit of, of weight maybe so you're overweight but but not obese and you were over 40 mm-hmm. then you were lost seven pounds without doing anything else over a six-month period so but what i would like to say on that is that the proven shape line product you you'll see it and it and it and it and it and it and it looks from the pack point of view that it's it's a weight loss product and it is and and it you will lose weight but it, what it what it also embraces is 23 other clinical trials that we've done so so you won't just see weight loss be- benefits you'll see uh better gut health you'll see better immune health people who are on our weight loss trial we 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 had a quality of life assessment with them and they felt better Uh, they had more energy they had better sleep they felt they they had a better mood this is the gut brain activity of of the probiotics it's beginning to affect their mood their their anxiety levels and so on not only that so they were losing weight, their gut health was better, they were feeling better, but we'd me- measured their coughs and colds or upper respiratory tract infections. And these were, were reduced by 40% in the probiotic group. It one was of, absolutely amazing. One of the things that we find in practice is we give this probiotic to 90% of our patients and all of them. Um, report that they have far better bowel movements and bowel health um, on this one. So for yes. constipation, um, the shape line one works beautifully. Yes. As well. And one of the things I would say, I mean, we, we have a number of products in, 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 in the range, Mark. So, so shape line is the one which if you want to lose weight, that, that's the one that, that, that you should take. And it will give you these other benefits as well. If you're not looking to lose weight, then our sort of hero product is, is our proven adult product. And this has been, say, the subject itself of 22 clinical trials. And we can now say from a, from proven brand point of view, because of the clinical trials that we've done, that proven, in terms of coming back to which probiotic to, to, to use, proven brand now has a wider range of clinically proven benefits than any other probiotic in the world, a wider range of clinical benefits than any other probiotic in the world. And this ranges from reduction of, of risk of, of, of um, uh, allergy in, in, in newborn babies, uh, reduction in constipation in babies, reduction in coughs and colds in, in kids. So when we, when we had a trial where we, we did a, 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 a two trials now on kids between three and eight years of age, Upper respiratory tract infections or coughs and colds reduced by 30%. Absenteeism from school reduced by 30%. Athletic performance. We've done now five trials on um, endurance athletes, and we've seen in each of those five trials an increase in performance in those athletes. That's amazing. Apart from all of the the IBS and so on and so on, which is why we say now that Proven has the widest range of benefits of any probiotic globally. Okay, so this 
brings us to the end of today's show. Uh, Dr. Nigel Plummer, um, a PhD in microbiology and microphysiology, all the way from the UK. Nigel, it was such a pleasure to have you. Uh, we, we've learned a lot from you. Um, today's show was sponsored by Proven Probiotics, shape-lying the world's leading probiotic with proven weight loss benefits. Proven is available at Diskim, Clicks, and as well as online at provenprobiotics.co.za. It's also available at the T-Clinic, so if you can't find it anywhere, call us at the T-Clinic. The number is 010-824-1393. Simpiwe, it's a pleasure as always. Nigel, thank you. I know that you are staying on in South Africa for a little while and that you're going doing a safari or two. Yep. Um, you chose the best time to come. Everything is dry. You'll see lots. <laughs> um, and the weather is good. Thank you again for teaching us a little bit more about probiotics. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.